You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we are cracking open something that I think I've been waiting for for a long time. And unfortunately, it's closed now. The last, the oh, last blockbuster is closed. And finally. Yeah. But we've got uh, here 10 barrels. 10 Barrel Brewing Company's The Last Blockbuster. Yes, we we actually talked about this beer back in uh, episode 27. There was an article about it coming out. And I want to give a huge shout out to Jennifer W. for uh, picking this up at the release party and sending it down. Um, she messaged us on Facebook after the uh, uh, our episode 27 aired and said that she'd try and pick it up. And lo and behold, we got it. And I've actually been holding on to it for a little while, waiting for us to be back in the same place recording together so that we can enjoy <laughs> it together. And I'm not just rubbing it in your face. You know? Do you do you have maybe uh, something that we could pair with this, like a... I should have brought a video, his, yeah, should... a VHS tape that you, you haven't returned in 25 years or something. No, I, I should have brought in some popcorn. The popcorn would have been good. But I, funny, funny story. Um, I can't remember what movie it is, but my wife has a movie from either Blockbuster or Hollywood Video, one of those two, in our DVD collection in the case that never got returned. Okay, so it, it was one that you actually rented. Rented. Oh, it's from years and oh, years and years goodness, ago. Goodness, goodness. Uh, because they did at one point realize, like, oh wait, we should let people buy these used discs at a discount. Well, I think eventually, if you held on to it too long, they just charged you for whatever the price of the movie was. After just milking it for as much as they possibly <laughs> could. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yep. So I'm pretty I'm pretty excited that we finally get to open this up. Yep. Um just because it's cool. It's that this is the blue, the blue and gold, the it's got the blockbuster little ticket label across the front here. Um so this is coming from Ten Barrel. It's a dark ale and it's five point seven percent. Um they actually say that it is their um it's basically their sinister black ale. But it's also brewed with kind of the nuances of red licorice. So they put a little bit of a spin on it. I like red licorice way. This is going to be controversial. Way, way, way more than black licorice. Oh, I'm, I'm with you. I like black licorice, but red, like red vines, the original, we do not go into Twizzlers. That is an no, no zone. It's, it's it different. I would say it's just completely different. Uh, if you if you do want to eat something that looks like red plastic, that's fine. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. totally cool. Red vines, though, totally totally my jam when it comes to licorice the stale ones though you get the big old like the big tub by the time big tub in costco yeah and then you let it out you go through it but by the time you get to the end you got the it's a little harder to chew through (laughs) yes i'm glad we're on the same page with that the cool part about this though is that we get to now be a part of a club that only includes 236 unique users drinking this beer so far at least so far i feel like maybe Folks are hanging on to this, waiting for the the next blockbuster, I guess, to be opened uh, so that that one can then be the last one. But not bad. It comes in at 3.82 caps, stars. There's no consensus really on on what folks say about that, but rating with 212 ratings. And we're, we're cutting it close. We're right on the cusp here. They have a best before, and it's January 9th. So okay. good time to get it. Yep. All right. Let's get this open. Oh, it made no sound because of that wax seal. <laughs> oh, that was disappointing. All right, let's see. Let, let's, let's let's look at some uh, some pairings that folks have here. Uh, paired with the the Godfather as a movie, mm-hmm. not bad, not bad. Uh, I see it also being paired with folks playing video games, which you could you used to be able to. Uh, rent from Blockbuster. You used to be able to rent the game systems. Oh, I did that themselves. for sure. Yeah, yeah, you get the the like Pelican box style case with all the pieces <laughs> inside. The Sega Saturns. Uh, the making sure you're getting the um, you know, the expansion packs for your Nintendo sixty four. I can't remember if I mentioned this, but I back uh, when Nintendo sixty four was the hot thing. I got one for Christmas one year, but I didn't get any games. So I spent a few months before I could actually afford to get a game just renting them. Yep. I remember renting GoldenEye like for weeks and mm-hmm. weeks in a yep, row. Yep, 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 yep. All right. So this Ooh, obviously oh. it pours dark, like real, real dark, but a not a black sort of a like dark brown. If you kind of hold it up to the light, it's got this like Coca-Cola color. Yeah, to it. exactly. But take take a smell. It just that's red licorice right there. It's got that sweet red red vine smell up doing the swirl. 
I'm always too scared to do that. I'm going to spill somewhere. Yeah, I've I've been pouring less and less into my glass when doing this sort of first tasting just to see what how the head develops, uh, what the smell is, just get a get a tiny bit in there and then go for the full pour once I kind of have a, an overall sense of what the what the beer is about. Now, it, I definitely right off the bat get red licorice, just that sweetness in there. But it, it also has kind but of a, to- a roast. There's like, like a, a yeah, yeah, that's yeah. this roasty sort of what I would venture to guess is just the dark ale like behind it. That is a very, very pleasant smell. It does remind me of something else other than licorice. It's not coming to me, but it doesn't it doesn't smell boozy. Obviously, it doesn't smell, you know, overly beer, beery, I guess. It's, yeah. it's just got kind of like a really, really sweet nose. It has a very, very light mouthfeel, like a very like easy drinking light beer but still sweet like it carries that that sort of red vine sweetness all the way through yeah it's it's, it's although it is subtle to me when i think of like a crushable beer this is the kind of beer i think of where it's just so smooth uh it, it has enough of that kind of lingering sweetness for me to want to like come back to it over and over again but it is like not bitter at all it just goes down super super smooth and i i really really like this and that that sweetness it's there and it it does hang on a little bit but it's not overwhelming it's not like no. this weird it's it's, not, it's light it's kind of just like an undertone it's of a, it's of a nuance whole, it's a, it is a, yeah <laughs> Blockbuster doesn't have a whole lot of nuance, to be honest. You you do have to be able to differentiate between sort of the uh, your transformers and your transmorphers, and get make sure you don't get the B movie. You get like the <laughs> the main you know big big movie. Oh man, I was just back in the I had so many memories from Blockbuster. Going back there, finding the case, and then having to pull out the like card or case behind it, and they'd have to go in the drawer and get the DVD. It is, yeah. Well, it wasn't the DVD. I mean, or it was the, the, it was, VHS, it was the sure. VHS usually, sure, sure. but it, it was always a struggle to, to take it back on time. I mean, even with Netflix, back when Netflix was just their mail order DVD yeah. service, it still was really tough to to get that sent back on time. Uh, at least to to make sure that you didn't hang on to it long enough and let your monthly thing lapse and you know you weren't paying more than you you needed to pay i love that there are photos of folks outside of blockbusters here on untapped Uh uh-huh that's (laughs) that's just sad checking into this beer yeah this is very very good and i've got to say kudos to uh to michael t I, i don't know if michael t listens but michael took the beer into the blockbuster and took a photo of one of the video racks. The last, the one in of, Oregon? Of the yes. one inside of Bend, yeah. Got it. And in case it, you didn't go back and um, read or, you know, catch on to it, this beer was brewed by Ten Barrel in celebration of the former last blockbuster in Bend, Oregon, which was the last one in the lower 48, which, according to Kyle, is no more. So, there we go. I'm going to I'm gonna blast through this. This is, like, super crushable. Yeah. Like, I want, I want a 12-pack of this. So, this is their Sinister... Sinister Black Ale. I I don't think I've ever had it regularly, but now for sure I am going to see if I can get this. But I feel like a, like we're a part of a pretty exclusive club here, being able to drink this one. Pretty cool. Red Vine Sinister is another variant of this. Raspberry Foam Sinister. All right. All right, Ten Barrel. So I have had three of uh, 10 barrels beers i think they're most notable and the one that you probably see the most on shelves in uh like total wines and places like that is their cucumber sour it's the white can with the green writing on it very noticeable uh, i believe it does also come in six packs um but i have had joe which is their i believe just their straight up ipa and their Apocalypse IP. Have any of you been fortunate enough to try the last blockbuster from Ten Barrel? You should definitely hit us up and let us know what you thought, or just uh, let us know what you're drinking while you're listening to the show. Feel free to tag us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We are at Untapped. All right, let's move on to our Style of the Week segment and take a look at this week's featured beer style. Here's Tim with more. So Christmas has passed and we're solidly in the middle of winter. And even though it's been mostly sunny and warm in Los Angeles, although it has been colder than usual, which I am thoroughly enjoying. This morning was super windy and very cold. I I remember the last couple of years, Christmas, it was like 80 or 90 degrees. It was mm-hmm. insane. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm enjoying it being a little cooler, but still there's no snow. 
there's no ice. We're, we're not into the negatives. No, not mm-hmm. at all. And uh, that obviously that can't be said for many other parts of the country or world who are, you know, colder, snowed in, enjoying a white holiday there. I, I know our editor is. <laughs> That's true. Um, so while beers uh, being paired with food has become quite popular, it's really more of a recent trend. Traditionally, beers have been paired with different seasons. We see that um, we see that with seasonal releases and from lighter, fruitier and floral beers to keep summer breezy to heavy, darker brews to hold drinkers down during the cold. Needless to say, winter warmers fit into the latter category. This is a time of year, too, where uh, lots of bigger breweries are releasing their like 2019 uh, schedule for releases for all their different beers that they're going to have seasonal releases and um, you know, when they're going to be releasing their next IPAs and when the barrel aged stout, I know bottle logic locally is, uh, making their, you know, latest announcements for their barrel aged series, some new ones coming out early 2019. So I'm really excited to, uh, to see more of what breweries are, are brewing in 2019, but winter warmer is one of my favorite styles of the season. I feel like I just don't have enough of them usually around this time of year. Yeah. And you know, honestly, you might be having what kind of equates to a winter warmer because I'm doing some research here, which was actually spurred on by a message uh, that we got in Instagram. Um, I'll get down to that once we get through this. Uh, it, it's it's an interesting sort of like catch-all genre. So winter warmer uh, may be a bit open-ended when it comes to the specific guidelines used to brew it. Uh, but as for the beer style's purpose the name lays things out pretty explicitly if you will uh, brewed to match the rich sweet and fragrant cuisine of the holidays winter warmers and spiced holiday ales are stout enough to warm the soul and savory enough to abide the hearty fare winter warmers are typically loaded with a luscious dessert-like multi-character while holiday ales are similar with an aromatic perk of added spices they kind of taste like a meal in and of themselves a little bit where they are kind of a dessert, right? They're kind of like, hey, what do you want to wrap up the meal with? Well, a winter warmer sounds pretty good because that sort of like covers all your bases. It's a nice in-between between your meal that you just had, super savory, like holiday-style meal to maybe cookies or, you know, something that's, you know, covered in powdered sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yum. <laughs> Uh, the winter warmers, they really evoke the British tradition of offering strong ale to conquer the wintry chill and to celebrate holiday festivities. In centuries past, brewers were beholden to the changes in climate, harvest, and manpower, as brewing was always seasonal by nature. Stronger beers, naturally more stable and sustaining, were made for and kept until cooler months. Today's winter warmers, modern conveniences aside, are really no less tailored to the season. They are modeled on strong English ales that include old ale, barley wine, Yorkshire Stingo, and Burton ale, all closely related, nearly interchangeable brews of the 18th and 19th centuries. Winter warmers tend to stem from English strong ales, which the Brewers Association considers to have ABVs between 5.5 and 8.9%. So a little bit, you know, a little moderate to higher in the ABV scale. Yeah, they're usually, uh, they aren't beers that I need to share necessarily during the holidays. Those are those like, you know, real heavy 12%, 13%, 17% beers uh, that are definitely warming. They've got that that warming character, but... The winter warmers I like are, like you said, those lower ABVs. They come in 12-ounce bottles or, you know, they're six-packs or whatever. Uh, Very drinkable and aren't going to be, uh, like I was saying earlier, a meal in and of themselves. Yeah, it's it's something that you can handle, but... You know, it, it you could share it, but it's definitely enough ABV to keep you keep you warm, right. if you will. Yeah. Of course, alcohol alone doth not a beer make. True. That that is very true. So winter warmers will also have flavors that could best be described as fitting the season. These are primarily built from the malt bill, often including notes of dried fruit like raisins or prune. Think fruit cake. Okay. Caramel or molasses. Uh, think gingerbread. Okay. And other sweet, bready, sometimes toasted flavors, which if you think about the holidays, that's that's a like you were saying, this kind of qualifies this whole blockbuster beer we're drinking. It's got it's got kind of that uh, molassesy 
thin, bready character with a little bit of roastiness to it, kind of that uh, mild candy sweetness, reminiscent of of sort of the holiday season. I could see this beer being the basis for some sort of cookie or cake or something like that, right? Yeah, no, that's very true. In modern incarnations, brewers may also add winter spices like cinnamon, nutmeg, clove, Mm. all those things you really expect Mm. to really hammer home that winter feel as well as cut some of the malt sweetness and maybe temper some of the booziness. Which is also kind of typical for, say, like Belgian triples or, you know, things around that area. You've got uh, some of those similar flavors trying to temper the amount of alcohol that's in them or uh, make their sort of like yeasty uh, characters a little more balanced. And I think they sort of lend the same sort of flavors to to these types of beers. And since a winter warmer is a bit of a catch-all style, there's really no winter warmer category at the Great American Beer Festival. You won't see a ton of beers carrying that specific label, but there are plenty that really fit, you know, the bill that we're describing here. An- another perennial winter favorite is spiced holiday ale which kind of falls into the same category here. Uh, Just as pumpkin begins to fade, along come the savory, robust, aromatic ales to pick up the slack. Holiday ales may have also been influenced by British ancestry. Uh, Those ales of yore spruced up to celebrate the solstice, Christmas, New Year's, and Twelfth Night. Spruced up? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I can't take take credit for that one. Yeah. No, no, no. (laughs) I'll have to cite my sources here in the article. Old British winter customs included serving warm ale that had been variously spiked with spirits, eggs, sugar, and whatever spices or botanicals were available or preferred. One such beverage was known as wassail, named for the medieval English salutation wassail, a toast to good health and fortune. Wassail was served from a communal bowl and was quite an impressive concoction with ale as the main ingredient. Now, fun side note, um... We actually, my family actually made wassail from a ingredient. We didn't do ale though. It was um, it was like a apple cider, like warm apple cider, mm-hmm. a little bit of orange juice, pineapple juice, a bunch of spices, including clove and cinnamon stick and nutmeg and ginger, and you basically boil it up like a punch, and then you serve okay. it warm. It was really, really good. Like a, like a uh, yeah, like a spiced tropical sort of punchy C- cider, cider yeah. situation. It, it had this, yeah, it, it was most, it's mostly has that like apple cider character, but it has a little bit of like tang added from the other stuff. And then the spices really hammer home the aroma. So not, not like a full on mulled wine. No, not at all. No, <laughs> but obviously something that is non-alcoholic for the entire family to have. But um, it was really cool. And I could see that flavor set really lending itself well to you know, adding some sort of an ale in there. Yeah, I think the the thing that probably gets me is the the eggs and sugar, right? The the, the second that you add that, you're in uh, eggnog territory. Yeah, so which would I'm sure some folks really really dig that. Uh, I can imagine like a cream ale, like an an orchata that we tried on the show way back when, uh, being a great sort of like basis with all of the cinnamon and you know those types of flavors kind of throughout uh being an, a nice sweet treat still it's like the, the when we say winter warmer we're not thinking warm like an actual hot beverage that yes. you boil up though but in in olden in times of yore if you will like that's one of the traditions was to warm up just your standard ale and actually serve it warm um which i thought was really interesting it's like leaving leaving your uh, 12 pack of diet coke in the trunk of your car and then realizing oh man i, I still i left my diet coke in there and you drink it anyway cuz you're thirsty but boy is it bad like it's <laughs> you're i wouldn't equate this with that but i get what you're going for cuz i didn't consider this bad at all and i'm sure those... i'm not thinking bad i mean well okay not not bad necessarily but just sort of like this it's so out of the ordinary. When you think beer, you think ice cold. Yes, right? exactly. Uh, when I think Diet Coke, I don't think hot trunk, you know, warm back of the car. Yeah. But mm. this is true. And you know, like you just said with the mold wine, wassail could also be mold wine or cider. Uh, while wassailing refers to the twelfth night offering of thanks and respect to the orchards for a successful harvest, both past and future. So there's a little bit of background there on hmm. the wassail part. Modern spice holiday ales, though, have a more recent inspiration invoking the spirit of wassail and fueled by the innovations of the modern American brewing renaissance. Now, this was actually looking up winter warmer was actually spurred on by a message that we got on um, Instagram from Kale R. Uh, he asked what the difference between a winter warmer and a winter ale was because he, he'd gotten a bunch of beers 
over the holidays, and some of them were marked as winter ale. Some of them were marked as winter warmer. Interestingly enough, we also have a winter ale and a winter warmer category on Untapped. Hmm. Now, trying to figure out the difference between the two, there's not much. There's really not a lot. Um, some of the things that I read and obviously things that we just kind of covered here, the winter or holiday ale is a bit more um, on like the spiced characteristics. It's a bit more uh, reliant on the spices to get it to where that holiday sort of scents. Whereas the warmers, they have a bit more of a traditional take and um, tend to be, I want to say, a bit stronger and a bit more of like those multi-sweet things and sometimes have spices added to it. I would assume the when you see warmer on there, the ABV is going to be a little bit higher um, just to imply that this is this is sort of supposed to give you a warming sensation where an ale maybe is intended to be more refreshing slash kind of like, hey, pair this with your holiday meals or, you know, this is an easier drinking type yeah. beer. So I'm I'm sorry to say that I didn't find much difference between the two. And I can't really say that there is because as we kind of said, you know, winter warmer, it's really just this like term that is used for a catch-all of most holiday style beers. And to be fair, for me, I've had seven winter warmers and six winter ales. So kind of almost one-to-one, almost 50-50. Uh, the most recent one I've tried was Deschutes Jubilee. So going all the way back to uh, to sort of bend that area. Yep, that's true. Jubilee is a solidly delicious one. I think I have uh, I have a vintage uh, ver- bottle of it in my fridge at home that I've been waiting to open. Mm. Um, speaking of you know looking at um, untapped history and things like that, I did pull the top three winter ales and top three winter warmers based off beers that are currently in production. Okay. Make sure I always try to make sure to check that uh, that box <laughs> so we don't get all these beers that nobody's ever going to get. Uh, the first one. So if we're looking at the top three winter ales, uh, bourbon abominable from Fremont brewing, it's uh, it's number one at 11% ABV. So that's the interesting thing. A lot of the ABVs on the warmers and the ales are in the same range for our top three on both categories. So it's hard to say that the ABV has any qualifying difference between them either. That is true. That Grant, is true. Granted, these are also modern beers and not those of the olden times. Right. It's kind of up to the brewer at that point to say whether or not this is one way or the other ale versus warmer. In terms of the winter ales, the so top three, I the next three after the first one. So two, three, four and or yeah, two, three and four are actually all variants of Fremont's B-bomb. So we're just going to say that's in there. And then rounding it out, uh, Imperial Cold Mountain from Highland Brewing Company is also in there at eight percent. Now, as far as winter warmers, the top, uh, the number one uh, that we have here is Cheers from Cigar City. It's at 11 percent. After that, we have Bourbon Barrel Age 12 Dogs of Christmas from Thirsty Dog Brewing. That's at 10 percent. And then uh, the third is Frosted Frog Christmas Ale from Hoppin' Frog Brewery at 8.6 percent. Now, we've talked about some of our favorites sort of before uh, about this category. I think Merry Christmas and Happy New Year uh, from Anchor yes, makes I, it I've, way up there. I've got a, I have a magnum of that one at home that I need to open with some friends as well. Yeah, I've had 2016 and 2014, it mm. looks like, of that. Uh, Jubilee, obviously, is is one of the popular ones as well. Um, and most recently, I had uh, Hoppy the Woodsman, which, <laughs> which is from uh, Schooner Brewing. Uh, that one comes in at 8% ABV, obviously no longer in production. This was a 2015 vintage, um, but very good. I, I really enjoyed that one. Most of what I've had is actually from the Pacific Northwest. So I've got like a Double Mountain Brewing, uh, Fa La 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 La. La La La. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty good. Um, I pulled up my, my stats. I have 25 winter ales and seven winter warmers. Interesting. Okay. So that's, I didn't even expect that. I frosted frogs in here. And that was actually from December 18th, which was just recent because that came in my Tavor 12 Days of Beer Miss box. Aha. You were uh, talking to me offline about the different types of beers that came in that that box. And it sounds like a good number of them were kind of that this sort of like seasonal feeling ones. Yes, extremely. Uh, the majority, of, I would say, were stouts or imperial stouts or variants of that. Um, but everything that was in there really embodied like something warm and Christmassy. There was only there were only a couple of lighter beers that were included, uh, one of which was a, uh, a Goza 
but it was like a cranberry goza. So it really, it still fit the seasonal feel. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that, having that 12, the 12 beers and going through it. Um, I did document that on my Instagram, uh, my beer Instagram, which is Tim Drinking Beer, if you want to go check that out. Um, I have all but one posted so far. Um, and it was pretty cool going through and trying all those. Yeah, so that was Ruben's uh, Holiday Goza. I got that last year yeah. uh, in a Tavor box. It's a really was, cool can. It is a very cool looking can. It looks like a sweater. Um, it's it's a, yeah. It, it does kind of, it's obviously not a winter warmer ale. It doesn't have these roasty, like sweet characteristics no, to it. No, not at all, yeah. But it does kind of still have that cinnamon and clove and kind of like... But then um, the cranberry really helps pop it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like I can imagine pouring this on top of a turkey maybe or, you know, like one of those types of things. And in a season when cranberry Sprite is super popular, I expect a cranberry goza to fit right in. Um, if anybody out there listening does have some more input on the difference between winter ale and winter warmer, um, other than what we've discussed, I, we would love to hear it. So please, uh, again, just let us know. Hit us up. Uh, message us. Tag us. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are at Untapped. So this year, we're going to be switching up our homebrew tips segment a little bit. But don't worry, our friend John Holzer from the Four Brewers podcast will still be joining us regularly. Instead of specifically giving tips and tricks about homebrewing, John will be talking about homebrewing in a broader sense, uh, just covering more topics and uh, opening it up to just have a bit more discussion about it, as well as including a, you know, a tip or two here and there. We're calling this new segment Homebrew Untapped. Now let's hear from John. Hey everyone, John here from the Four Brewers Podcast, and I'm back for another installment of Homebrew Untapped. Another year is behind us, and 2019 has officially arrived. So you know what that means? New Year's resolutions. Resolutions are a bit cliche at this point, but I legitimately have goals that I want to accomplish in 2019 when it comes to homebrewing. Today I want to talk about those goals. I must admit that I haven't brewed in over a year. I spent the last year losing weight and getting in shape, and I cut out beer for the most part and decided to put homebrewing on the shelf during this time. I accomplished my weight loss goals and decided that 2019 is the year I get back to homebrewing. Here are my goals. First, I want to get back to the basics. I have a fairly elaborate single-tier brewing stand that I built a few years ago that has all of the bells and whistles. Having great equipment to make beer is awesome, but it can get to be a bit overkill. In my case, it's the wort chiller. I've been using the Blickman Engineering Therminator for a few years now, and it works really well. I like the Therminator, but it definitely has its advantages and disadvantages. It works pretty well as a plate chiller using ground temperature water that's in the mid-60s. My wort would typically go into the fermenter at 70 to 80 degrees, and from there, I'd chill the fermenter and wort down to pitching temps by using the chest freezer where the fermenter lived. That process I'm fine with. What I don't like is cleaning the Therminator. I've baked it, boiled it, flushed it with cleaning solution, you name it, yet it never gets fully clean. I'm never really sure if it's completely sanitized either. It's also a pain to hook up the hoses needed to transfer from my kettle to a pump, then to the Therminator to my fermenter. My gripes with the Therminator don't end there, but keeping it clean is my number one issue with it. So what's the solution? I'm going back to a coiled submersion chiller. It's just plain easier. You drop it into the boil for the last 10 minutes and boom, it's sanitized. Hooking up the hoses to the fermenter is easier since I don't need to have a plate chiller between the kettle and the fermenter. Cleaning is also easier. Hose it off, scrub it a bit, and you're done. Flushing out the plate chiller was always such a pain. But with a submersion chiller, that problem is avoided. Second on my list is brewing outside of my comfort zone. I just want to brew a damn barley wine for once. My first attempt didn't go so well, and I tend to avoid higher gravity beers simply because I feel they're harder to brew and ferment than other styles like IPA, Saison, or Brown Ale. Balancing sweetness and dryness with the appropriate bitterness can be tough and intimidating. I also tend to worry about fermentation stalling and having to coax the yeast back into doing their job. These are all legitimate concerns, but at the end of the day, it's just beer. I've brewed many batches of beer, and I know what I'm doing, so this year I'm brewing a barley wine, and while it's fermenting, I'm going to relax not worry, and drink a homebrew. Finally, I want to get a proper glycol chiller. That's right, glycol. For a homebrewer, these chillers can run in the range of $1,000 to $1,200. And while this may seem like overkill, I think I can justify the purchase. First, I have a conical fermenter. Keeping the temperature stable with a conical would require a refrigerator large enough to facilitate it. That's wasteful and bulky. Second, I can use the chiller to chill the wort from my boil. I've tried all sorts of things to get my groundwater colder than ambient temperature, and while some of the methods have worked well, they usually require a large amount of ice that eventually gets dumped down the drain. 
This, again, is wasteful. A glycol chiller is designed to stay cold and recirculate glycol to keep other things cold. I suspect that the money I spend on the glycol chiller will eventually be offset by the savings in water and ice purchases. So these are my homebrew goals for 2019. What are your homebrew goals? Hit me up at at 4 Show on Twitter and let me know. Until next time, this has been Homebrew Untapped. You can catch more from John and the whole 4 Brewers crew over at 4brewers.com or subscribe to their show wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com coupon code podcast. You'll get 20% off. All right, since uh, since Kyle's back in the office now, and we can share beers a bit more easily without having to make sure that we run to the store or mailing them back and forth to each other. Or, or covering our desks with uh, mixes for micheladas and things like that. I do see, I see that you still, I still got that chili. Oh, yeah, I still have the tahini over here. Yep. Oh, man, that was... <laughs> That was a trip. I have actually seen some folks send us messages about them making micheladas or having micheladas for the first time. I love seeing that. I thank you for tagging us in yep. your untapped check-ins this holiday. I think it's been really, really cool to to see that that listeners are checking in beers that we have recommended or ones that we've tried before. It is super cool to see. That it definitely is. So in celebration of you being back, we're gonna we're gonna open a second beer for this show. We got a, this one you actually brought in and you're going to be sharing. So why yes. don't you give us a little background on it? So we are going to be drinking Bear Bottle Brewing Company's Cake Water. Uh, when you're thinking of meals in a bottle, the, this from Bear Bottle is it. This it is, looks like a giant cake in a bottle. It definitely is. It is an 11.7% ABV, 100 IBU Imperial Milk Stout. Oh, man. I love this. The label just lists every little itty bitty detail. So that is actually so you, when you think of cake, right, yep. you, you get a box of cake, you look on the back and it's got the ingredients. Yep. It's got how to make it. You want to dig in right away and start, you know, baking a cake. I think this sort of conjures up those same sort of feelings where they put the brewer's recipe on the outside. So if you wanted to brew this yourself, similar to how you would bake a cake yourself. You can do that. Yep. They have the pounds and the percentages. They have the uh, the boil for 60 minutes on here. And I love this quote. A party without a cake is just a meeting. Julia Child. <laughs> so true. I Yeah. I don't think we've instituted the uh, one cake per meeting rule uh, here at Untapped yet, but maybe. Maybe in the future. Got to get baking. Yes. So this it does say aromas of lush, decadent, vanilla-rich chocolate and toasted coconut. The uh, on Untapped it also says we brainwashed a pastry chef into transforming a molten coconut chocolate lava cake into a beer just for us, so that we could get through the holiday season with joy and bemusement. Much as as we definitely are here trying to get through this episode with joy and bemusement. <laughs> well, let's let's get this open because I'm excited to try this. Uh, a little better on that one. As Tim is pouring this out. Um, it looks so dark, almost reddish. The head on this is pretty thin, uh, from what I would expect. Yours, yours looks a little, a little more rocky kind of, it, it has those sort of like tight bubbles on the bottom and, and bigger on top. Yes, it definitely, it poured pretty dark. Um, nice little, like what I'd expect from like a little chocolate cake top on there. It do, it does have that sort of like um, cupcake look to it, where you've got the nice buttercream frosting on top with the, the dark chocolate cake underneath. Oh, that aroma though! Once again, just to dessert in your face, but sort of understated uh, compared to the the last blockbuster we had, which was just very much uh, all about sort of that kind of underlying sweetness uh to give that beer its body that's sort of where it 
it got its flavor and aromas were just all from that that like pure sweetness. I'm kind of expecting this is still a little bit cold for me. I'm kind of expecting it to be uh, obviously a lot more uh, alcoholic, maybe a little more effervescent. This was also bottled, I believe, on the 5th of November or so, sometime in November. Uh, so pretty recent for an Imperial Cake Stout, which I've never had before, I don't believe. Uh, I've had milk stouts before, but cake stout or pastry stout, as it's sort of known now, I don't think I've had a a very uh, blatantly described pastry stout before. No, I don't think I have either. I've had beers with pastry or baked in the name, but not. One of those sort of like up and coming styles of beers, I feel like, uh, but one I also don't see that often. So, I mean, you get light cocoa chocolate mixed with coconut right off the nose there. I definitely get the coconut in there. Maybe it's just me. No, you, you no, 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 you do. It's, I think, I think I'm also just surprised at how balanced it is and not roasty it is. It, it does have that sort of like uh, dark, deep sort of chocolate slash coconut flavor to it, but or uh, nose to it, but it doesn't have, it doesn't have that like overwhelming, just smells like the inside of a bourbon barrel. Like you, you sometimes get with those Imperial stouts and things like that. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't have a boozy aroma. Yeah. That's exactly my reaction. When I took a sip, just a face of pure show notes are available at podcast.untap.com. We're done. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is, this is, it, it is very, it, I, the flavors feel decadent almost like, the the mouth feels very silky smooth. Um, I'm not getting much in terms of bubbles or fizz. No, not at all. Um, and the flavors, but it doesn't taste flat either. It's no, not, no, no, not flat. Not for, not at all. That's sweet. I'm I'm digging it. As sweet isn't not. Uh, <laughs> sweet isn't good. It's oh, t- yeah. it's tight. It's good. Mm. And it's it's not overwhelmingly sweet. Again, like we were saying before with the uh, the last blockbuster. Um, you get sweetness, but there's still a lot of roast in there. Um, the chocolatey sort of coconut, uh, you get that up front, and then as it fades out, you get that sort of stout, roasty bitterness at the end. The bitterness is really what helps to differentiate it, I think, from Imperial Stouts I've had before. There is something about the the coconut and sort of the whatever they're using to bitter this beer that makes it feel like it is just super, super balanced. And I don't know if I would. This is closer, in my opinion, to like a black IPA than it is to what I would consider an imperial stout. It's got that sort of like bitter chocolate taste to it, I think, as well. Like that when you get sort of an 85% uh, dark or you get... um, like baking chocolate flavors. Yes, I I totally get that. And I I'm trying to I'm trying to verify this, but um, Untapped does list it at 100 IBU, which would explain why the bitterness lingers a bit, because that's a that's pretty high on the IBU scale. In terms of hops that are in it, though, it's it looks like it's just the they say at least on the brewer's recipe here on the side, uh, hop drop hop extract. So. Dialed in somehow to being just enough hop extract that it doesn't provide it with maybe much on on the the scale of like, you know, you're not getting tropical, you're not getting citrus, you're not getting any of that. It's just sort of like the the bittering characteristics that lend itself well to things probably like dark chocolate are brought in through this hop extract. I don't know enough about the brewing process to be able to say h- how this is accomplished, but I I really appreciate sort of the education, if you would, here on the side of the bottle, sort of giving me a, a tiny bit of insight to how this was made, what parts of this particular recipe are contributing to what flavors as it as it sits um as i um as it sits on my taste buds it does it does remind me a bit of um that lingering flavor after tasting say like a semi-sweet chocolate cake batter right after you like take a little lick of the spatula Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah like you're you're just making sure that everything tastes okay it's got enough sort of salt to it yeah exactly I'm, i'm getting a little bit of that sensation there one of the things that i thought might contribute more to the 
overall mouthfeel, if I can say that, uh, is the lactose. It's made with, I believe, a pound of lactose, and I don't get much of that. I, I expected a little more body to it. Um, maybe it's helping to sort of like balance out the bitterness and the roast characteristic. But well, in addition to the hops, they do say, um, oh, no, so they it's a one percent one percent maltodextrin. 0.5 pounds. Okay. There's one pound of milk sugar in there as well. Right. And then it's uh, the, they have eight ounces of cocoa powder in the secondary as well as shaved, uh, 15 ounces of shaved coconut and four chopped vanilla beans. I, and I assume that's per bottle, obviously. Yeah. For, oh, for five gallons. So this is a five-gallon batch recipe. Huh. Not that's bad. Even cool. if, I didn't yeah. realize. If you're looking to clone that, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's right uh, up there. It's definitely worth cloning. All right. Now that we've got uh, this... To help us finish out the show, let's move on to our next segment here. Let's take a look at some sponsored badges that we've recently added to Untapped. In the complete opposite category of what we are drinking right now, we have a new badge coming to us from Dogfish Head. It is Januquenchi. Now that the holidays are over, it's time to shed a few of those unwanted pounds. Obviously, we spent a lot of time drinking and eating the past few days, uh, but we definitely don't want to give up drinking good beer. Enter Sequential the award-winning low-calorie beer that also happens to be the most thirst-quenching beer Dogfish Head has ever brewed. I don't know if you've had this one, but it is, it's pretty tasty. Black limes, a little sea salt. Um, I believe it is a Goza. It is really tasty. I love drinking this just from the can. Um, I, ice cold. It, ice super cold. It is so, so, so good. And I've talked about my love of black limes before on this show. This embodies that entire flavor so well. For the month of January, the Dogfish Head crew invites you to join their resolution to be active and drink sequential all month long. Do so, and not only could you shed that extra holiday weight, but you'll unlock a brand new badge. Just check into one sequential during the month of January, and the Januquenchy badge is yours. Our next one comes from Bell's Brewery. This is Bell's Hop Slam Release 2019. Now, this is a yearly release that I think most people look forward to because Hop Slam is a solid, solid seasonal. Yep. Can you smell it? I'm not talking about what The Rock is cooking. <laughs> That's the distinct aroma of seven different hop varieties, a touch of locally sourced honey, and malt getting ready to slam you right in the face. Yep. It's Hop Slam season, and we can't wait to get our hands on some of this delicious seasonal double IPA from Bell's Brewery. With one of the most complex hopping schedules of all of Bell's beers, I can only imagine like seven different hop varieties, obviously one of them being the dry hopping. That's a lot to deal with in terms of um, what you put in when during the boiling process. This beauty is finished with a massive dry hop edition of Simcoe to give this limited beer all of the delicious aroma you know and love. Get your hands on Hopslam this January, and you will be generously rewarded with a brand new badge. All you have to do is check into one Hopslam for Bell's Brewery between January 2nd and February 9th to unlock the all-new Bell's Hopslam release 2019. Finally, from Experience Grand Rapids, we have the Beer City Crusader 2019. The Beer City Crusader Challenge is back. Are you ready, Kyle? I definitely am. This list of breweries that are in here, it all sounds spectacular. Oh, yeah, that is for sure. The craft beer scene in Grand Rapids, Michigan, a.k.a. Beer City, USA, continues to grow, boasting more than 60 breweries within a 60-minute drive of Grand Rapids. That is a lot That's incredible. of breweries. With such a wide variety of breweries along the Beer City Ale Trail, it's no surprise that this prestigious title, Beer City, USA, was bestowed upon the city of Grand Rapids. Join those known as the Brusaders and embark upon the journey of finding the perfect pint of Grand Rapids beer. All you have to do is check into five different beers from any of the Grand Rapids breweries listed on our blog throughout the year 2019. With 40 qualifying breweries, all creating many great beers, you're sure to enjoy your journey to becoming a true Brusader. All right, let's take a look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. I've got two articles for us to discuss this week. The first comes from foodandwine.com. It is Rosé Cider has been added to the official U.S. ACM Cider Style Guidelines. Rosé in general is one of those things that I feel has sort of rocked the beer world 
Modern Times has their take on it. Not a cider per se, but sort of just a like a beer. a rose inspired beer. One that when you pour it, yep. it's got that beautiful rose color. I believe Eagle Rock Brewing did one. Yep. L.A. Aleworks, I believe, has one as well. So it's definitely making the rounds. But in this case, we're talking about cider. At this year's Great American Beer Festival, entries were judged in 102 categories. 30 years ago, in 1988, the competition only had 18 categories. America has seen tons of change in the beer industry in the last year, let alone the last three decades. And as the category like beer grows, telling brews apart by creating new style guidelines is a great way to foster further appreciation of different products. More recently, America's cider scene has been looking to take a page out of craft beer success, including a greater focus on both traditional cider making and innovative techniques to help broaden the appeal of the beverage. Last year, those efforts included the release of the first ever set of hard cider style guidelines from the United States Association of Cider Makers. I didn't know that existed. I didn't either. I don't, I'll be honest, I don't know a whole lot about cider. It's not a category of beverage on Untapped that I frequent that often. Um, but when I have had a cider, I've typically enjoyed it, especially if it's spiced or it's got some sort of dry hop characteristics to it. It kind of leans a little further into beer territory that I'm more used to, obviously. Getting kind of more towards the rosé category is an interesting way, I think, to bridge the gap between wine drinkers and beer drinkers and maybe sort of like swing the table a little bit towards folks maybe opening the door to uh, to beers and, and trying, you know, different styles of cider out. Yeah, and I've, I've seen some articles recently about how cider has been becoming more and more popular. Um, personally, I, again, like you said, I, it's not a category or a style of beverage that I tend to if ever, drink, but it is becoming more and more popular just in general. So last year, that first ever style guide was released, but now, um, a little over a year later, the association is back, tweaking some of the language and, more importantly, adding five new styles. Seeing as the initial list only included 10 cider styles, the addition of five new styles may be even bigger news than it appears at first blush. Ah. To review, the initial guidelines included the standard styles of modern cider, heritage cider, modern Perry's, and heritage parries, and the specialty styles of fruit cider, spice cider, hop cider, which sounds like what you're looking more towards, wood aged cider, sour Ooh. cider, and ice cider. Those last three sound like ones that I don't think I've ever tried before, but would be very, very interested. I'm in. curious about a wood aged cider now. Right, right. That would be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. uh, despite some minor language changes, quote unquote, all those styles remain the same, and the standard styles category has gone relatively untouched. However, the specialty styles category has been crashed. The most notable update actually resulted in two new styles. Rosé cider was one of the most talked about beverages of 2018, and the uh, USACM has rewarded that excitement with two versions. Heritage Rosé, which gets its color from red-fleshed apples, and Modern Rosé, which gets its color from other fruits or botanicals. Speaking of botanicals, botanical ciders have been broken off from the spice cider style to differentiate ciders made with any combination of herbs, nectars, and leaves, including tea. Ah, okay. Uh, from those made with any combination of spices or spicy vegetables. <laughs> Tomato. Tomato cider. Technically a fruit, but you know. Interesting. I wonder how that would go over. Uh, it'd be, yeah, no, I, I've had a tomato beer. I don't think I would expect a tomato cider, but I do love any beers or any ciders that have hibiscus in Ooh, it. Ooh, hibiscus it's, is a good one. It is beautiful. It ends up being like this neon pink liquid that is, especially when clear, just looks super, super cool. I did have a hibiscus IPA recently and the color of it was beautiful poured out really like i don't it's it's not neon but you know it's that really bright pink color yeah stone had a uh, belgian strong golden ale which we talked about last time uh that was brewed with hibiscus Ooh, that's it's, delicious yeah it's, it was very very good that sounds awesome and getting back into the article as the uh, final two new styles the lesser known but traditional new england style cider was added sometimes described as an apple wine with raisins 
the uh, USA ACM wrote in its announcement. Lastly, a catch-all category for outliers is now included, referred to as specialty cider and Perry. Gotta love those catch-alls. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, board president Paul Vanderheide specifically cited the chance to add the hugely popular rosé cider category as a very exciting proposition for the USACM, which really opens the door for more innovation. I think so, too. I don't think we have enough folks who have specifically cider in mind um, on Untapped. I know that actually our, our support guy, Drew, uh, is very cider minded. He loves checking out new ciders and I kind of lean on him uh, oftentimes to help me differentiate whether or not it's a, it's a good cider. Cause he's had quite a few this year. And I, I think this is one of those categories that I'd like to try more of. I, I know I say that pretty broken, much broken record, broken record. Absolutely. But it, it comes down to the seeing that the USACM has added way more sort of um, differentiated categories for cider in particular, especially knowing that they had hopped cider and wood-aged cider on there already lends me to want to like kind of differentiate my palate and my knowledge on ciders way more than I already do. It just seems sort of like it's that's that's like spiced apple, like spiked apple stuff Mm -hmm. pretty much. Right. Which is a very simplistic view of ciders. And I think there's to their credit that it's a way more complex world and is is and can be just as complex as beer as is. i mean as can be seen with new categories being added and just a lot of experimentation happening i like the idea though that their new england style insider is completely different from beer's new england style <laughs> uh if it, if you're looking for a way to bridge that gap new england uh hazy new england style england, cider hazy new england raisin cider please like all the way i'm on board oh boy Nice crossover there. <laughs> the last article we have comes from KDVR. This is a local Fox affiliate website in Colorado. Full strength beer coming to Colorado grocery stores, gas stations, January 1st. So in a past episode, we discussed an article where um, Colorado was looking to eliminate their 3.2 law, which basically said that beers uh, with only beers with less than 3.2% ABV were allowed to be sold in grocery stores and gas stations. Oh, so that's not 3.2 rating average on untapped that you can't? Okay. All right. Uh, Although um, laws that include the untapped rating system would be pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, um, but no, it, you had to get your high strength beers either at the brewery or, I believe, from a specific bottle shop. Similar, you know, just those sort of slightly archaic laws that we aren't used to here in California, where you can buy a very heavy beer in it's very regional laws. I'd say, yes. like, it's one of those things where you you don't expect, like, oh, I can't go to a grocery store and pick up beers, or I can't, I have to go to your, you know, regional shop where they've got a drive through, which I don't think I've ever seen for a liquor store, but you can do it. Uh, it's just sort of out of the ordinary for us. And I haven't really lived anywhere else that has differentiated laws like that. So I'm not really up on them. Unfortunately, this is sort of my only way of learning about these kinds of things. And it's, it's very interesting. It is extremely, uh, after, so that the, the law passed, um, and as of January 1st, uh, the 3.2, uh, laws will be no more. Uh, Colorado grocery stores, big box retailers, and gas stations will begin selling full-strength beer on January 1st, 2019. Lower-strength 3.2 beer sales will stop as it becomes replaced with full-strength varieties. The change is due to a law 10 years in the making. Man, I'm glad to see that they're catching up because Colorado's beer scene, obviously, they have so many amazing breweries and so many amazing beers. And, I mean, you you could obviously get it because you'd either go to the brewery or you'd go to a liquor store. Um and you'd, you'd pick it up, but now it'll just be more widely available, giving those breweries even more you know, room. That is very interesting, though, because I wonder if that it must be this case. But the fact that that law did exist up to this point, that Colorado's beer scene and their beer culture is very much around local, like hyper local beer. You get your beer sourced just from the brewery. And and that's kind of it. Right. You don't go outside of that. It is very brewery centric and it maybe potentially has grown those brands in a way that is very different from the rest of the country. It makes your brand loyalty 
not to the Albertsons or the Safeway or whatever. It makes it to the brewery itself. And so you aren't differentiating necessarily your tastes from, you know, picking and choosing amongst a whole group of different local breweries. You're just kind of going to your, your you know, favorite brewery. your known quantities. Yeah. That's a really good point. I'm sure also from a logistical level, having to brew a 3.2 beer, um, I, I don't know much about um, who is or isn't or if it's, you know, breweries are specifically making 3.2 beers for the area. But, you know, if they are, then obviously not having to do that anymore creates uh, less hassle on your end. Uh, there's a quote here from Todd Broderick. Broderick? 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 Close. Close uh, enough. He is the president of Denver's division of Albertson Safeway believe it or not. Uh, he says, we will go from 130 different types of 3.2 beers to over 400 full-strength beers available. Independently owned liquor stores are concerned about the change and its effects on sales because obviously now you can go into an Albertsons and pick up a full-strength beer as opposed to being forced to go to your local liquor store. So there's there's a little bit of an offset there in terms of your little local liquor store and it, their patronage potentially dropping because you can go to a big box store and pick right. it up. Right, right. It's that weird, um, weird scale, tilting scale of availability of the beers from the breweries versus the patronage to the local liquor stores, trying to balance that out. But I think the groundwork for these big box stores, if you would, for grocery stores being able to create the contracts and, and bridge those those gaps from, you know, going to the local breweries, bringing it in, making it so that, say, a uh, local Safeway in Denver only has stuff that is from Denver is that's a lot of work for them to do. And I don't know how quickly that will happen. It won't be immediate. Obviously, they still need to create. I'm sure they've been setting it up. That is probably already. true. Yeah, that's probably true. But I don't I don't expect this to dramatically change folks habits when it comes to like it. I would say it would be the same of going to your local brewery also the same as going to your local, you know, sort of uh, liquor store to get independent beer from from there as well. Yeah. And from a even from a personal standpoint, um, even though like our grocery stores and gas stations do, you know, we don't have a 3.2 law or anything like that. You're still going to get a wider variety of things from these smaller independently owned liquor stores because, you know, they have the ability to work with a lot of different small distributors or small breweries who may not be able to work out contracts with large box stores. So it's, there's always room there, more variety. Plus, I personally, when I am looking for a beer store, I'm going to go straight for verified venues first. So until the, the point at which uh, all of the Albertsons and Safeways are, are verified venues, <laughs> um, I'm likely to frequent, you know, your small bottle shops and uh, like the place that I picked up this bear bottle uh, yep. pastry stout for the show. Um, it, it's it was a you know small store that has specialty beers that they have very specific contracts with distributors that are doing it on their own. Honestly, they're they're not going to be part of a major conglomerate distribution. Uh, type company. It's just them on their own. Yep. They have one contract and that's with them. So yeah, that's true. And speaking, speaking of that cake water, um, after warming up, the sweetness really starts to hit you. And I will say, I still have a little bit of the, um, the last blockbuster over here mm -hmm. and there's more in the bottle. Cause I know you liked it. So you can have some more. I would love to, um, the, the licorice aroma has popped out now that it's been sitting. Yeah. I, I am super into this, the, of the cake water, the bitterness on, on this is, it's nice. It's it's different from and I tend to be this way. I, I'm sure I've talked about this before, but when it comes to imperial stouts or barrel aged stouts, bourbon barrels, you know, whatever, I will always rate it highly. And if you if you go through my my top rated beers, it's going to be those one offs. It's the the ones that are casked with cocoa nibs and it pours out at a nice 55 degrees or a little warmer. It has already sort of opened up, and it is incredibly complex. It's unlike your, you know, New England style hazy IPAs. It's unlike your West Coast IPAs. It is so different that it kind of just sort of gets that like not a sympathy rating of five, but it's kind of like I never have this type of beer. I have to rate this highly. Because it's so different. The rarity factor. The rarity factor. Absolutely. And I, I feel like that that tends to happen a lot with these types of beers. So maybe it's just, uh, you know, 
got to try more, maybe expand our palettes. Maybe we need to come up with some goals for 2019 for this show on, you know, styles that we haven't had before, beers that we haven't had before. Go go a whole month just doing Belgians. Like, I'd love to be able to say that I have been able to expand my palette a bit uh, with this show. Create a, um, we should create a checklist of... 102 beer categories vote on the beer that we should drink next either that or work our way through actually all of the beer styles i think that would be great yeah yeah that'd be a good way to do it i think that about does it though you can find show notes at podcast.untapped.com and if you've got any questions for us or you've got feedback or a beer recommendation we'll take it for 2019 you can send that to at untapped on twitter facebook and instagram until next week cheers. cheers